All right, hey everybody, welcome to Mount Olive uh, Church Live, and those of you that are online listening or watching, we're glad you're there, and those in the chapel, we're glad you're here as well. We're in a series this fall uh, that is uh, No Perfect People Allowed, that's what we titled the series, No Perfect People Allowed, and uh, you know, for a lot of us, I mean, none of us would claim to be perfect, because like, I mean, who does that? But we have this sense, even though none of us would say we're perfect, we have the sense that if we're not, you know, if we don't meet a certain level of perfection or, or get to this certain place that we will, you know, God will strike us dead and I could never go through the doors of a church because, you know, I'd be struck by lightning or, you know, we just have this idea that even though, you know, I'm not perfect, there is this level I kind of have to get to to be accepted by God. And what we've seen over the last two weeks is that is a very wrong understanding of our Heavenly Father. That uh, when it comes to perfect people, imperfect people are allowed in. Imperfect people are allowed in. In fact, uh, I, would, I would say, you know, but the question is, okay, if, if imperfect people are allowed in, who's not allowed in? Surely someone's not allowed in, right? If, if imperfect people are allowed in, and one of the, the vision of our church, something we want to live into is to be a real and authentic church for all people, because all people are allowed in, well, who is it that's not allowed in? And what we find as we read scripture is that no one's not allowed in. If you struggle with double negatives, let me say it this way. Everyone's allowed in, right? Everybody is allowed in, but here's the tension. Although everyone is invited and everyone's allowed in, not everybody gets in. In fact, there's a particular trait, a characteristic, a vice that actually keeps us, it's not God, it keeps us from getting in. A particular vice, in fact, this particular vice, this particular character trait that keeps us on the outside looking in actually comes out of the false idea and the false belief that it's only perfect people who are allowed and you have to reach some level, some bar, some, some place of perfection or goodness or rightness. And unless you do, you're out. And this belief actually produces this character trait that keeps us on the outside looking in. And Jesus, Jesus talked about this very character trait in his most famous story he ever told. It's a parable. Parables are story. And Jesus told this parable. And even if you're not a church person, I guarantee you, you've probably heard some version of this story. It's the parable famously known as the prodigal son. And at the end of the story of the prodigal son, there's this little twist. And I told you last week, we're going to get to the twist where Jesus gets this idea, this attribute, this character, characteristic that actually keeps us on the outside looking in. So just kind of uh, recapture a little bit why Jesus tells this story. Jesus was hanging out, uh, and you can read all, all about this in Luke chapter 15. Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, which in their culture was like the lowest of the low. It was like lower than the lowest of the low. If any was, was imperfect, if anyone was far from God, it was the sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus was hanging out with these guys, and they kept coming to him. And then there's other group of people who were known as the perfect people. They showed up the religious leaders and the teachers of the law called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees showed up and they couldn't understand why does Jesus hang out with these imperfect people? We have the two groups, the people that are like the imperfects and then the perfects, right? Or at least as close to perfect as you could get. And the perfect people couldn't understand why is Jesus hanging out with these people? And so Jesus tells actually a trilogy of stories. Three stories, three parables to show 
the Pharisees, remember he's speaking to these religious leaders, to show them the heart of our heavenly father. And pretty much all three stories say the exact same thing. Something's lost, it's found, and then there's a celebration. Then the second story, something's lost, something's found, and there's a celebration. The third story, something's lost, something's found, and there's a celebration, right? And if you remember the stories, the first guy was a shepherd and he lost a sheep. He had 100 sheep, he lost one, left the 99 to find the lost one. He celebrates. This woman had 10 uh, 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 coins. She loses one. She goes out, seeks for it, finds it, has a celebration. And then the third story is the story of the prodigal son. But then before even Jesus gets to the story of the prodigal son, he summarizes the point of all three stories. It's found in Luke chapter 15, 7. He's like, here's why I'm saying this. Here's the point of all three stories. And he says this. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the point. Jesus says there is this celebration. There is this excitement. God gets excited. There's this God-pleasing spirituality, and it's not what you think it is. See, because we all think, you know, God just wants me to get to this level, or if I'm not up to here, then God's going to strike me dead. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you misunderstand the heart of your heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus says God-pleasing spirituality is available to everyone But it begins with repentance, and here's why it's available to everyone, because it's not based on any one of us. Repentance is simply throwing ourselves on the grace and the mercy of God, saying, I was going the wrong direction. God, I turn to you. I throw myself on your mercy. It's all about what he's already done. That's why it's available to everyone. It's not like you have to get somewhere. This is where God-pleasing spirituality begins. This is the doorway, the gateway into God-pleasing spirituality. So Jesus tells these three stories. But interestingly, in the third story, there's a twist. And actually, the twist is the reason Jesus tells the first three stories. See, we, we all know the story of the prodigal son, right? But when Jesus gets to the twist, it's like, here's actually the reason why I told the first three. Now, if you weren't here last week, or maybe you're not familiar with the story of the prodigal son or the lost son, I'll Maybe just share it really quick, and then we'll dive into the twist and the purpose for why Jesus said all of this. So Jesus tells about one father who had two sons. And the younger son came to his father. You might remember from last week. He said, Dad, I want the inheritance, which was extremely disrespectful. It was dishonoring. In essence, what he told his dad is, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not dying, I want what you have, but I don't want to wait for you to die, and I want what you have, but I don't want you. And that in that culture, in a patriarchal society, the father, I mean, in our, in our culture, dads would probably throw out their kid, right? But in that culture, it's like the offense was tenfold. And so he should have thrown out his son, but he didn't. He's this, this, this different kind of father. And he obliges, and he gives his, his son his inheritance early, which in that culture would have been one-third of all the, what the father owned, because he had two sons. The elder son in that culture always got a double portion of the inheritance, or a double, yeah, a double portion of the inheritance, so he would have got two-thirds. So his father you know, gives one-third of all he owns, which would have been farmland and his estate, but this has no value to the son until he sells it, right? And so the son sells the one-third that's been given to him, which in essence dissolves himself of any connection, any connection to his heritage, to his upbringing, to his family, to his father. He's already said, Father, I don't like you. I hate you. He's dissolved himself of any connection. He sells it off. It's just cash. He goes to a faraway land and he squanders all his wealth in wild living. But then a famine hits and suddenly he's out of money. He's out of prospects 
and he's out of hope. And he goes and looks for a job, and he finds a job feeding pigs, which in Jewish culture is like, I mean, you can't get any lower than that, right? I mean, they're not kosher. You're, he's feeding pigs, but it gets worse than that. He's so hungry. He wishes he could eat the food the pigs are eating, and he can't even eat that. Like, he's just like lowest of the low, and at his lowest point, as he hits the bottom of the barrel. And isn't this true of our stories? Often it takes the bottom of the barrel before we come to whatever the sun comes to next. And he came, Scripture says, finally he came to his senses. It's like, what am I doing? And he realized, my father's slaves have it better than me. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to tell him the truth. I'm a disaster. I don't deserve to be your son. In fact, I lost that right. I dissolved myself in my relationship with you. I don't deserve. I have no rights. I'm a disaster. But could I be a hired hand like a slave, a servant? So he comes up with this speech and he makes the long journey back. And I think day and night he's rehearsing the speech. The speech, I'm a disaster, I'm a disaster. He finally gets home and his father sees him. His father does the ridiculous of all ridiculousness. He runs to his son and then he hugs him and kisses him. And his son's like, no, no, dad, I got this, this speech. And he starts telling him, he's like, I'm a disaster. I don't deserve to be your son. And his father doesn't even listen. He's like, let's party. My son was lost. And he's been found. It's this beautiful picture of God, your heavenly father, how he embraces those who repent and celebrates those who turn on, turn towards him. But it's interesting. That's just the first part of the story. There's another part that comes. In fact, I think the part that comes is the part and the reason why Jesus told the first three. It all was a setup for the last part. And it's the first part we all know, right? We've all heard the story of the prodigal son. He runs away, he's bad, and then he comes home, his father accepts him. But we kind of forget the next part. And I think one of the reasons we forget the next part, and I'm talking to we as in those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, you, those of you that say, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. The reason I think we skip the next part is because the next part's actually directed at us. And it's fairly offensive. We don't like that. So we just kind of like, oh, let's go back to the younger son, right? But I said earlier, there's an attribute, a character trait that keeps us out. Everyone's welcomed in. But there's an attribute that keeps us out. As we get to the end of the story, the prodigal son, we find out that someone's not in the party. Luke, Jesus, says it this way. Meanwhile, the older son, remember there's two sons? The older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and you can already sense... <laughs> This isn't going to be good, right? I mean, just put yourself in the older son's shoes. You're the good son. You're always, you know, or you're the good employer. You're always staying late at work. You're always doing the right thing. You're always doing the good thing. You're just the good boy, right? You're always like the goody, goody guy. And you're always, you're, you're pulling the extra hours. You're in the field and you come in and no one else was pulling extra hours, no one else was doing the good thing. They're all having a party and you weren't invited. It's like, this is not going to go good and it doesn't go good. So he called one of his servants, one of the servants, and asked, what is going on, right? And there's an underlying like, oh. And the, the servant says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. And then the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. See, now it's the older brother's turn to dishonor and disrespect his father. See, the younger son had 
dishonored and disrespected his father by saying, I wish you were dead. I want what you have, but I don't want you. But the older son now dishonors and disrespects his father. Because in that culture, if there's a party and the father's throwing a party for the eldest son who's the heir to everything, for him to stand outside with his arms crossed would have been a complete downer. In that culture, in a patriarchal society, the father should have just thrown his son out. Like, come on, if you're not going to come into the party, you're out. But the father does something really, really strange. He does something different. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And this is interesting. If you remember the first two stories, there was something different that happened in the third story. In the first story Jesus told about, you know, the shepherd who lost a sheep, what does the shepherd do when he loses the sheep? He leaves the 99 and goes out to find the lost one. In the second story, the woman who loses the one coin, what does she do? She goes out and searches for the lost coin. But in the third story, in the lost son story, the son is lost, but what's interesting, the father never goes out to find him, does he? But what does the father do now? He goes out to his elder son, which means, who did Jesus think was also lost? The one who didn't think he was lost. And he pled with him. He pled with him. But the older brother, he answered his father, look, <laughs> not like father, which would have been, you know, at the very bottom end of like honoring your dad. Esteemed father would have been like, you know, that's kind of customary. Just look, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed and, I, and, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And here we begin to see how the older son viewed his father and how the older son viewed his work. He was slaving away. He did not see himself as a son. He did not see himself as a, in a place of position. He saw himself as needing to earn what he got. And this attitude, this kind of slaving away, and we're going to talk about this attitude more, this is the attitude that creeps in when we live out a duty to gain something from God rather than out of position of who we are. This is the same attitude. Then he goes on, he says, but this son of yours, <laughs> he doesn't say my brother, he's dissolved himself of any connection to his brother. This son of yours, this is your son, this is not my, I, have, I have wiped myself clean. This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you killed a fat and calf for him, you never gave me anything. And the father responds this way, my son. <laughs> See, the son saw himself as a slave. I have to earn what I get. I got to work hard for everything. And the father comes back and he says, listen, son, you're not a servant. You're my son. And then he goes into all of what that means. He says, you're my son. You are always with me. And guess what? Everything I have is yours. But you see yourself as a slave. You're slaving away, trying to get something. By the way, son, everything I have is yours. It's already yours. Why are you working to get something that's already yours? You're slaving for something. You're not a slave. And in essence, reality is, everything the father had was his, wasn't it? He'd already sold off. He'd already given one-third of the estate to the younger son. The only heir that's left is the older brother. Everything, literally, everything the, the father had, it was already 
his. Why is he working so hard for it? And he goes on and says, but we, the father says, we, not me, we, you too. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, I like that. The father just pushes back a bit, right? He's like, this son of yours, no, no, this brother of yours, we had to celebrate. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. That's the end of the story. We, we never find out, like, does the elder brother come around? It's like, ah, oh, you're right, dad. We never find out. And here's why I think we never find out. Who is Jesus telling this story to? Who is this trilogy of stories told to? There's the tax collectors and the sinners on the left. The religious leaders on the right, and they couldn't understand why Jesus would spend time with the low, 